Broadcasting live from Martha Public Radio Studios in downtown Martha on this absolutely beautiful Friday morning in April. Chins Lund is an independent folklorist who lives in Olympia, Washington. The word independent refers not only to his free-spirited nature, but means that he is not on the faculty of a university, and so is not burdened by teaching duties, and therefore can do pretty much what he wants to do, which is help his friends organize festivals. He is interested in occupational folklore. So in 1985, he helped Hal Cannon start the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering in Elko, Nevada. And in 1998, he was one of the organizers of the first Fisher Poets Gathering in Astoria, Oregon. Lund also enjoys sending his friends and colleagues articles about folklore subjects that he thinks will interest them. And it was from him that I first learned about an article by food writer Megan McCarron entitled, The Myth of Authenticity is Killing Tex-Mex, which was posted on a website called Eater in March 2018. I found the article so fascinating that I want to pass it on to my listeners. First, though, let me say that I love Tex-Mex food. I first discovered it at a Fort Worth restaurant on Blue Bonnet Circle called Caro's, known for its puffy tacos, shortly after my family moved to Fort Worth in 1956. And I have subsequently followed its Comino-laced aroma to Juti Garcia's on Fort Worth's north side, Matt Martinez's El Rancho in Austin, Mi Tierra and the Lebanese-owned Caroms, where I once found a clove in my enchilada in San Antonio, Mike Martinez's El Phoenix in Dallas, and the L&J in El Paso, all classic palaces of the rice, refried beans, and three enchilada combination plate, covered with cheese and smothered with chopped onions. The tradition is carried on in the Big Bend by Poco Mexico and Cueva de Leon in Fort Davis and Mondo's in Marfa. I consider Tex-Mex classic comfort food, and I have to have it at least once a week. According to McCarran's article, most Texans felt that way until the publication of Diana Kennedy's enormously popular 1972 cookbook, The Cuisines of Mexico. In the introduction to her book, 
Kennedy referred to Tex-Mex as, quote, so-called Mexican food, unquote, and insisted that there was a, quote, real, unquote, Mexican cuisine that could only be found further south in the mountains of Michoacan and the jungles of Quintana Roo. Craig Claiborne, who should have known better, jumped on Kennedy's bandwagon and helped publicize her search for authentic Mexican food. Now, the search for purity and authenticity has led many an anthropologist and folklorist astray. It is based on the false assumption that cultures exist in isolation, rather than constantly rubbing up against each other and changing as a result of that friction of proximity. It is what led 19th century anthropologists to denounce the presence of factory-made cloth and metal cooking utensils among the Native American people they were studying as corruptions rather than record them as evidence of mutually beneficial intercultural contacts and to try to exclude them from the photographs they took. It is an attitude that is still with us in the 21st century. I know an anthropologist in Arizona who thinks it should be illegal for young Indian people to take tape recorders to other Indian people's dances because they then incorporate the songs they record into their own rituals, spoiling their purity. A well-meaning Anglo couple ran a bookstore in Santa Fe when I lived there in the 1980s. They offered classes in Hispanic folk art and complained bitterly that no young Hispanics ever signed up for them. We are trying to preserve their traditions and all they want to do is work on their lowriders, they said, ignoring the fact that lowrider automobiles are a form of Hispanic folk art and incorporate traditions in their designs that go back to the 18th century. Where else in the world but Española, New Mexico, could you see a 57 Chevy with the Virgin of Guadalupe painted on the hood? In her article, McCarran points out that Tex-Mex food has its origins in the ranch cuisine of the Rio Grande Valley and is deeply rooted in the ingredients available on both sides of the river. Chilis, pecans, beans, meat stews, cheese, and flour, as well as corn tortillas. She reminded me that the Caro family in Fort Worth came from Rio Grande City, and that Lou Caro's grandmother opened a restaurant there after her husband had been killed in a political feud. McCarran repeats Gustave Arellano's joke that Tex-Mex was invented in the Rio Grande Valley, that San Antonio made it popular, 
and that Austin takes credit for it. And she describes it spread across the United States through chains of fast food restaurants with accretions such as fajitas and sour cream and frito pie along the way. But the bottom line, she says, is that Tex-Mex is a regional Mexican cuisine. As much a part of Mexican soil and soil that used to be Mexican as Diana Kennedy's Mole Poblado de Guajalote or her Pescado Antiquing Chic. And it is constantly changing as time goes by. Furthermore, she says, the Tex-Mex food that is closest to its roots is changing faster than that on the periphery. She doesn't say it, but I'll bet the regional cuisines described by Diana Kennedy in 1972 are constantly changing too. As an example, McCarran gives us Mrs. G's Tacos and More in McAllen, a one-room white cinder block building that originally housed a restaurant run by Mrs. G's, whose full name is Yolanda Gonzalez, mother, who used Mrs. G's grandmother's recipes. Mrs. G has introduced into her menu the soft fried taco, meaning that the flour tortilla has not been fried to a hard shell, but only dipped in oil and gently heated. McCarran says that they are delicious. She chronicles other changes in Tex-Mex cuisine. The smoked brisket taco al pastor, flavored with cinnamon, offered by a McAllen food truck, El Rodeo Taco Express, and a pan dulce burger, a beef patty served with brie and bacon on a concha, the traditional Mexican sugary bread shaped like a seashell, which is a specialty of a San Antonio food truck called Gonzalo's, which also offers chorizo fried rice and cheeseburger tacos. Gonzalo's chef Guillermo Mendez calls his menu Neo-Chicano, Perhaps he should have named his food truck Metamorphis. For the past 15 years, when I have ordered a green enchilada plate at Fort Davis's Poco, Mexico, the waitress has asked, with onions? And I have answered, how else would you have it? Now, that's tradition. You've been listening to Lon Taylor, the rambling boy. I'll be back next Friday at 11 with another story about Texas. In the meantime, remember that you can read The Rambling Boy in the Big Ben Sentinel every Thursday. This program is made possible by a generous grant from the Summerlee Foundation's program in Texas history. <laughs>